time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. In case you're confused, you have not entered a Dharma talk. Welcome to Market Meditations with Chris Heidel and Neil Modi. Welcome. We Just... both like that bell for breathing, and it reminds us of Deer Park Monastery, a silent retreat that we've. Uh, Chris is a lot more frequent to than me, and I'm jealous of the fact he gets to go so much more than me. It's near his house. Look it up, Deer Park Monastery. Yeah, it's very worthwhile to see the whole community stop and return to the breath. Every time they hear a bell, uh, it's a great reminder that the healing and peace and nourishment lives within us. So yeah, welcome to Market Meditations, Neil. It's the beginning of the fourth quarter now. Ah, we're, yes it is. Yeah, we are. we're the first week of autumn. So fall has begun. And uh, this is really a time of change, isn't it? It's pretty remarkable. You know, 40 years ago, the largest stock in the Dow Jones Industrial Average was ExxonMobil, and four weeks ago it was kicked out <laughs> <laughs> on its ear. Yeah, these are like bookends, right? Uh, 40 years ago in 1980, the energy sector was the largest component at almost 35% of the S&P index. Uh, today, it's just under 2.4%. It's uh, made a complete full cycle. I guess it could get smaller. But back then, we thought a lot about scarcity. Um, and today, we feel like we have an abundance of everything, including uh, oil, energy, money supply, <laughs> There's no no scarcity at all. It's been banished by the Fed and the central banks primarily, I guess. And and I don't think we talk too much about politics, but certainly 20 years ago, coming a little mm -hmm. closer to the uh, present, mm -hmm. um, we would have never had a presidential debate um, oh. where the president wouldn't have renounced racism. And um, though I don't think about racism regularly, um, even being an Indian in America and you know being born here because I think about just being an American, nothing else. Yeah. And uh, Chris being brought up in Louisiana as a, a black man, I you know I, we just don't I don't maybe he thinks a little more about race than I do, but I it's so strange to see the divide that is being um, that is happening all around us, and I I don't think it's um, I don't think it's actually being propagated by Americans. I think it's being propagated by people who would have America divided. And so I just want to say that um, today that uh, um, we're a meritocracy. We want to hear your comments no matter who you are. <laughs> we run our businesses as meritocracy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we invest in 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 non-political entities, hopefully, a lot of the time. And... Um, um, we appreciate uh, peace more than division. So if you ever have any comments, questions, thoughts, even about hard questions like politics, send them our way. We will do our best to address them. I think, um, Neil, you touch on a great topic. I mean, not necessarily the political divide, but the realization. I mean, so many of our fellow Americans um, who are 
supporters of the president. Um, and I guess maybe even tacitly, maybe even disapprovingly, but still support the um, behavior that sort of uh, is beyond the bully pulpit. But I mean, the, the fear and the division um, really contradict what America is all about. This has truly been a very noble experiment. Not only people of different races, but different creeds and religions have been able to coexist and support each other and really develop such a beautiful society. I mean, something that was unheard of and unheralded, and many didn't believe it could survive. Um, and there's certainly been a lot of suffering, but if you think through the day, as you go through your day, all the relationships that make your life richer, from the person who helps maybe with your groceries or helping you to clean the house or a gardener um, or someone who does your dry cleaning, the waiter or now curbside pickup. <laughs> Starbucks drive through That's right. Right. And probably uh, just as many uh, different faces, different people, different creeds and different races but they really all make up part of the whole that's your life. And that really is to me a form of love and cooperation. You know, in um, Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species, we've uh, extracted a lesson which is probably fitting to American culture and dynamism about competition of the fittest, survival of the fittest and competition. But in reality, he talks much, much more about cooperation and love um, and really not a, a sort of airy-fairy or uh, distant romantic kind of love, but just the support that humans give to each other and that this cooperation has allowed us to be more successful than other species, and it's quite evident. So the, the division and hatred and even the celebration of ignorance is really... I mean, for me, somewhat nauseating. I wish my fellow Americans had weaker stomachs, those who are supportive of this, um, even if they think it's a necessary change. But um, I think we can just even reflect on our lives clearly and see that love and cooperation play such a greater part and that if we have more of that, we certainly have richer lives. You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I hadn't really thought about how important these same concepts are to the investments that I make in startup companies. Um, we mm -hmm. actually, we don't tend to get overly competitive. We tend to uh, be as cooperative as we possibly can mm -hmm. um, to help grow these companies. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, it's, it's funny that this tenant we're talking about in a different realm is so important in the realm that I live in. Mm -hmm. helping nurture and grow companies. And um, though I'm just a nutrient of a tree that's already going to grow, mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in, in I think every case, um, I still want to be a cooperative nutrient, not a, not a detriment, yeah. Not, yeah. not a pest yeah. to the tree. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Neil, the more that you're aligned, it's really a way of saying uh, intertwined. Um, the more you're fortunes go with the fortunes of your investees with the companies that you've carefully selected 
Um, and I think really connecting the near to the far like that naturally aligns your interests and makes um, for just better relationships all of the time. I mean, there are lots of ways to make money in this world, right? I always think the shorter term, the nature of the trade, the <laughs> probably more damaging it is. I don't know if that's a direct proportion, and it's certainly not always uh, hard and fast. But oh, every, things are better in relationship, certainly than transaction. Right? Yeah, um, for sure. I think about a lot of that in investment. Like, is this a transaction or is this a relationship? Mm-hmm. What would I do differently in a relationship than a transaction? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So we're seeing um, we're seeing a lot of uh, transactional behavior this year. IPOs are at an all time record, exceeding two thousand. Um, is that because of the specs? I think SPACs are a big part of it, not the entire story. But <laughs> you, you, you just, I want to point out that we started talking about this when there was like 20 SPACs that had gone public. And you know now what? I think it's 200, not, not, many, not two months later. It's pretty remarkable. Um, certainly what uh, wise men do in the beginning, fools do in the end. <laughs> so be, be careful, caveat emptor. But oh, we've already- Chris, I think we're early in, in the SPAC boom, if you will. I, I think you're think right. We're, in, yeah, we're not even right. approaching anywhere near the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some research um, from Zoic that we'll share with the readers and uh, through LinkedIn um, sometime next week on that. Um, Great. Yeah. So uh, if anybody wants a copy of that, we'll, we'll put up a little summary and you can always shoot us a message and we'll share it with you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the SPAC boom is definitely a, a part of it. And we've already seen some abuses of that, of course. Uh, <laughs> famous, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, you yeah. know, is Nikola Tesla now synonymous with fraud and fraud? Um, <laughs> so, so, so against everything Nikola Tesla would have stood for. Um, I, uh, let's just yeah. use his name and it's it's okay if we commit fraud yeah did he have a middle name we could <laughs> we'll find out right now that'll be the next <laughs> anyway but uh yeah the the nicola of course one of the most famous flameouts. but it does seem that this um these markets are somewhat uh resistant to the frauds and the size of them from we work um to um to Nicola, these uh, to Wirecard, um, there's so many, um, and many in plain sight that still have yet to be revealed. <laughs> that uh, it does seem that this market is shaking them off like a puppy that got its fur wet. You know, I um, at some point, following John Kenneth Galbraith's admonition, the um, the bezel, he calls it, from for short for embezzlement, just gets too big for the market to take, and that usually, uh, he says, during good times the bezel grows, but then it just becomes too onerous, right? Too much fraud um, leads to a counter reaction. That may be why Tesla didn't have a middle name. He didn't want more fraud. <laughs> Um, he was looking at not, not right? common in, in 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 Serbia at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to answer your question. <laughs> but um you know we're we're really seeing uh tremendous exuberance that really is um on many fronts from mergers uh 
to the IPO issuance and the use of blank check companies, so-called SPACs. Um, a sort of echo of a distant mirror just 20 years ago with the dot-com boom. And so many companies that are uh, coming public with not any um, business plan for profitability. So, I, you know, I've been doing all this research and I still don't know the um, all of the uh, stats about companies coming that are not profitable. I still thought it was mostly uh, profitable companies or companies that were holding off profit, if you will, um, the way Facebook might have for a long time or the way Google might have for a long time. Or Amazon, most famously, right? Yeah, those okay. are the, At least that's a good example. <laughs> right, right. But those are, are three examples. But you have, you know, even, I mean, famously, I remember reading uh, for Compass Real Estate, the offering prospectus, and the CEO made the bold claim that they didn't even uh, have a path to profitability yet determined. But that they would. He got a boost in valuation the, then? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. In today's uh, language, that's what that translates to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's being transparent, I'll tell you. Um, but you know, it's, a, it's, it's a fascinating. It's kind of like Nicola, right? To come public in the markets, even if it's a sort of reverse merger with the SPAC, um, but to really not have a business plan. Um, and then it turns out, of course, he bought the. The blueprints for the truck. <laughs> he didn't even develop those. Those were bought from, uh, I don't know, Romania or something. Uh, pretty fascinating story. Uh, but the market has digested that one whole. I think I, actually Nicola still has some value. <laughs> it probably still has some value somehow. Yeah. The, the Somebody stock, holding out. Stock hasn't gone to zero, but uh, certainly is worth less than that. Wait, so have you, um, get, can you disclose whether you have any holdings in any specs? I do not. I do not. Um, have you started to look at more since our very first conversation? It's, um, well, many of the most, um, it seems, appealing specs have a cult of personality around them, like Ackman. It's a great example of that. So there's a, um, most are sort of hard to analyze, you know. Uh, it reminds me of the the South Sea bubble um, in the famous uh, history of delusions, right? The uh, extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds, the famous McKay book. And uh, he writes about companies coming public with uh, a design to do something of great importance, but no one to know yet what that scheme is or something of the sort where companies were coming public without even disclosed business plans. Um, I guess you'd have to really believe in the capital allocator in most of the cases. But you, I mean, I guess one of the benefits is you can take your money out if you've committed to it. Yeah. It sits in treasuries or something. So if you don't like the mm -hmm. acquisition, easy to say, no thanks. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are many um, seeming advantages and certainly I think mostly it's kind of a reflection of how difficult and um, really antiquated in many ways the IPO process is for an initial public offering. I mean, doing roadshows and things that uh, could be made much well, simpler. Well, it's not even just that, right? We have less companies going public. They're staying private longer. The right. average is, what, now 11 years? Something um, like that, yeah. Over... So it's beyond, it's beyond a yeah. fun time horizon, even though I've never mm -hmm. had a question about that. Mm -hmm. um, um, is is the average company to go public? I think that will shrink down a little bit 
um, again, I think we'll see a retraction of that. But um, it's not surprising that I'll offer a famous alternative by a, or sorry, an alternative by a famous former Facebook employee who's backed by Zuckerberg and it will enter the collective conscience, <laughs> mm-hmm. have him invest in uh, another affable billionaire in uh, um, Richard Branson um, in Virgin Galactic, which has already right. gotten a lot of its own news. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we can see any bubble form. I mean, they could, they could be selling like uh, sand to say this is the best thing and, you know, People would be thinking about buying more sand, frankly. Yeah. Even though I, you know, I don't think uh, the investment is quite like that. I'm not in favor of investing in space after spending more time looking at it. After one of our previous guests, yeah. somebody can make money yeah. there. I'm not convinced it's me. <laughs> well, I think when the case becomes complicated, you know, it's funny, Neil. I've looked back over my notes, and I think this is probably true of anyone who's had uh, a long career of investing or attempting investment. The shorter the investment thesis, the more direct, um, the more successful the investments all turned out to be. The more detailed the analysis, um, it seemed to me when I look back on it, indistinguishable from like rationale, right? I'm rationalizing (laughs) all these things that have to go right for the investment to work out. And when the investment thesis is simple and direct, it seems to convey the idea that, of course, this was a, uh, a the value was very readily apparent, right? You didn't have to go into a convoluted rational, rationale or if X, then Y, then Z, then I make money. You know, think- Eric, Eric actually constantly talks about companies um, with uh, too many buzzwords. Yes. Uh, too, yes, too, yes. Too many uses of CRISPR and something else really special. Like um, <laughs> those are things that are, you know, CRISPR is interesting by itself and doing something with CRISPR is interesting and doing something with, you know, I don't know, what's another big one? Um, um, I, I won't actually choose one in case I use something that <laughs> that I've seen. I don't want to offend anybody specifically. But yeah. when we see two two buzzwords as big as CRISPR, gene editing, and something else, we're mm-hmm. we we can probably just assume we're out. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> probably a good process, right? To, to I, see we still it, look yeah. at them, but we're like shocked and awed, and we see interesting valuations when sometimes people use really big buzzwords so it's, it's well a that funny, just feels promotional and, and uh like they're signaling something which you know is always a, a bit of an alarm well so this is funny because we're a little promotional because we've got a podcast just by nature now right mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. let me just poke fun at us a little bit for that mm-hmm. um the um the, the kind of conversation i have with ian over at the fund is like how pt barnum are these folks are they are they my kind of P.T. Barnum or are they a whole other level of P.T. Barnum? P.T. Barnum have quite an amazing show. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a, an amazing, amazing show. Right? Well, I, I do think there are a number of really interesting allocators who probably ought to become a little more P.T. Barnum, if you will, so that they can attract just a little more capital to run their strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of an interesting balance, right? Like how much do you promote and how much do you not? Um, and how much you just want to share what you're out there. So you create a community you can talk to, which is maybe a little less about promotion. Um, and you know, that's a fine line that I think through a lot. Um, 
because mm-hmm. I, I, I want to make sure I'm on the right side of it and sort of the companies I'm investing in. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to just tee up our guest who's joining us in 120 seconds. Um, mm-hmm. Today, we're really pretty lucky. Uh, we've got Christine Jones um, joining us today. She's a, a very good friend of Chris and I's. And um, she was formerly the um, general counsel, and um, though she didn't have the title, acting CEO of GoDaddy, she helped sell it to KKR for some $3 billion. She was you know, one of the first 30 employees there. Um, she helped pass the first major laws on uh, child pornography and being against it, of course, um, in this country um, mm-hmm. with some of the extra profits and, and work she did at GoDaddy. And she also st- tried to pass the Stop Internet Piracy Act um, so that if you weren't selling Crest, you know, literally from whatever company makes Crest to consumers, you couldn't say it was Crest. You had to actually sell what you said you were going to sell. Oh, Imagine man. that. <laughs> yeah. Poor Alibaba would be screwed if, clearly if Christine needed. had her way. That's right. Um, That's right. Um, and she endured, um, you know, 50,000 negative tweets um, as a result of this. Uh, the tech community in Silicon Valley did not like the idea that she did not want people to sell counterfeit product, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of interesting. You know, she later went on to um, run for governor of Arizona um, and then Congress. Um, both unfortunately unsuccessful, um, though, though she spent a lot of time helping a lot of candidates and trying to get people focused on policy. And it may sound at this point like uh, Christine is a person just focused on, on business and politics, but quite the opposite. The thing mm-hmm. she doesn't talk about is how much she serves in her church, how much money she donates to charity or to people without ever talking about it. Um, uh, the rescue missions she's been on to free people from child slavery. Um, hmm. the, and, and now her, her work at the Prostate Cancer Foundation um, that's funded by Michael Milken. She's the uh, chief operating officer. And I suspect, as normal with Christine, she's probably now running the entire thing because she just continues to work and work and work and work to help the causes she believes. And so we've got this really interesting like human being who we happen to love. Um, but she's also the person um, we've all learned a fair number of things from, including, you know, one of the most fun moments we ever had with Christine was we did kind of a, a large interfaith prayer um, with a number of very notable people. And so uh, without further ado, today we're going to talk a little bit about Christine's work at uh, GoDaddy, just a little bit, a ton, hopefully, about the work she's doing at the Prostate Cancer Foundation to help, you know, make prostate cancer, I think, the least um, the least effective cancer in the world now. <laughs> it doesn't hurt as many people the way it used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully a little bit about how she navigates the kind of ever-changing new crazy world we're in. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Neil and Chris. It's really an honor to be with you tonight. Ernie, welcome, Christine. Yeah. I- Thank you, Christopher. How are you? I am doing you? very well. Thank you. I'm well, and I'm very, I'm so glad to hear your voice and to have you on this uh, show with us. Mm-hmm. Same, same. Where, where do we start? We were talking about all the cool things you've done and um, talking about all the places you volunteered and the things people didn't know about you, how much you gave to charity and cared about, just the world <laughs> in general. And like, um, I think you're maybe the perfect blend of humanitarian slash business person that I've ever met, um, which is saying a lot. 
Well, Neil, people have said a lot about me. <laughs> and when you run for office, when, when you run for office, they say things that uh, even you didn't know about yourself. But rarely has anybody used the word perfect to describe anything about me. So that's very flattering. But you know, I think if you if you have a north star and you you set your sights on it, it's not all that hard to make whatever your priority is your priority in each context. And for me, it's about service. So whatever, whichever lane you want to go down tonight is fine. And, and, you know, whichever we're going to talk about, but the current theme and the thread that will weave through the entire thing is that from my earliest memory of having a focus, I set out to follow a very basic principle, which is do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And is so that a Bible quote, you talk about the, okay. it is, it, it is. So you talk about the blend of humanity and philanthropy and business and politics and all of those things. It's not all that hard to figure out if you know what your focus is. Christine, what is your earliest memory of having that beautiful vision? You know, we we used to memorize a lot of scripture <laughs> back in the day, Chris. Back in the day, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses would come over to our house and my brothers and I would just sort of like get them in the living room and lock the door and not let them out and just badger them with scripture. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. So, and they kept coming that's back a, for more. That's a true story. <laughs> Eh, not, not the same ones. The same ones. Would There's you let them in today, idea. Christine? <laughs> you know, not with COVID. Pre-COVID, per se, would you invite but, them in? <laughs> but, yeah, probably. Once in a while, my husband will will see somebody coming up to me to share their faith, whether it's a Jehovah's Witness or we have a lot of Mormon missionaries in the area or somebody, and and he just elbows whoever he's with and you know kind of grins a little bit and says. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I try not to proselytize. But but honestly, Christy, to answer your question, definitely as early as the sixth grade, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a little earlier, but definitely by the age of 11. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, and can you share more about that memory? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it must have been the, the the Bible verse of the day or something, you know, in the youth group. I, I had a, a mentor that I really admired who talked about that verse and, you know, some combination of those things. Mm -hmm. you, you know, the what strikes me is a little bit about how you've shared your management style when you were at GoDaddy with your team. And even your management style was very much, you know, of service. Um and it, it, I mean, it still is, even with that. I, mean, I kind of feel like, you know, in some conversations, you still kind of think of all of those people still as your team and like you still need to serve them even today. And it's been years. Oh, yeah. Right. Since you've been yeah. there. Yeah. I, I do still feel very motherly and, you know, very protective of that group. And I definitely stay in touch with them, not just because I remain a large investor, but because I deeply care about an organization that I helped grow and that I gave my life to for more than a decade. But yeah, I'm very protective. It's funny that you picked up on that. And the, the people who work with and for me think of me as very demanding, you know, as a boss or a manager, but they also know that 
there is nobody who's more protective of them. I, you know, I always feel like you have to punch up. You can never punch down and you have to take responsibility for the things in your area of authority, regardless of whose fault it was or regardless who did it. Right. If it's in your shop, you got to take the responsibility for it. And, you know, you just you just engender a level of loyalty and service around that when people know you have their back you're going to give them cover and go daddy. But, you know, you have to remember, Neil, we started there with just a dozen or so people. I mean, nobody had ever heard of, of even a domain name, let alone GoDaddy at the time, you know, it was this scrappy little startup internet hmm. company. And, you know, over about a period of about a decade, we grew that company to around 4,000 people before we sold the controlling interest to a group of, private equity companies, but, you know, it was a nothing burger, but, you know, back in the day. And so we had to do something to make ourselves noteworthy. There had to be something that was different about selling a commodity. And, you know, Chris can talk about this a lot better than I can, because this is the world in which he lives, but there had to be something unique and something special about what we did. And we chose to make it service. You could actually make a phone call to our company and get a oh, real life can, human being. By the way, <laughs> you still can. You still can to this very day. You know, 20, 20 years later, literally twenty years later, you can still pick up the phone and call. And and because now we exist in multiple countries and multiple continents, you can actually get a person who speaks your native language in wherever your website happens to exist. And, and that was very important to us. And it was really the differentiator for GoDaddy when you're talking about selling a spot in a database, literally, that's what we were doing, right? It, it wasn't anything more exciting than <laughs> ones and zeros in a database. I mean, it, it, it's not very sexy stuff here other than, you know, Super Bowl ads. And, <laughs> you, you guys made it sexy. GoDaddy did it. But, yeah, but... But, you know, the, the way to do it was to make yourself differentiated. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, again, the thread that weaves through the whole thing, right? It, it was that that customer service and well, that satisfying It was going way beyond that because really I never saw any of the advertising for any of the really policy work that you thought needed to be done. You know, the, the mm -hmm. child pornography work that you guys helped pass, right? Like you guys helped pass the seminal bills in this country. Um on yeah, protecting yeah. children and, against you know, pornography or being in pornography. <laughs> it's it's a little it's a, the timing of this is is dicey because we're in the middle of an election season as we as we talk tonight, but there there were a lot of a lot of days and a lot of weeks that I spent personally in Washington, you know, trying to lead industry coalitions around shaping the policy that now governs the internet. And it was child pornography and it was online drugs, but it was also privacy and spam and phishing and farming and, you know, all of the myriad things that you do online now that you sort of take for granted. They all have a terms of service. They all have sort of a set of parameters. Well, those didn't exist when I went to become the first general counsel at GoDaddy. And, you know, basically we had to we had to write the laws. And when I looked around at all the big Internet companies which, by the way, back in the, back in that time, it was still AOL, 
Netscape. Alta Vista. Alta Vista. Na- names that you're Alta not Vista. even. Yeah. Alta Vista. I've got to search the memory banks deep. Jerry Yang's Yahoo at the same yeah. time, right? It was still yeah. called Jerry yeah. Yang's. Yeah. yeah, Jerry Yang. Jerry Yang's Yahoo, exactly right. There was sort of a Google, but not really. Facebook, literally, the domain name hadn't even been registered yet. The, the term social media had never been spoken as a standalone term. It did, not only did it have not been developed, it just didn't exist. So somebody had to develop that policy. And that was one of the, the great joys of being there. And of course, as you know, you guys know me well, I never did any of that to bring attention to myself. My very favorite thing about my entire career, literally as of this day, my very favorite thing about my entire career is I can go into any restaurant in any place in the world and every single person who is in that restaurant that accesses accesses the internet was impacted by some policy that I helped pass and not a single solitary person in there knows who I am. That's my favorite thing. Wow. Yeah. And they don't need to. All, all, I, all I wanted was to make the internet well, a you better didn't, and safer I don't think you even place. advertised that at GoDaddy, right? I went and looked for some of this stuff. You, you, you never tried to take advantage of the marketing of any of it. Nope. No, because really the reason to do it, and it was interesting, you bring this up. One of the things that I got questioned about a lot, particularly in the early days of trying to advocate for internet policy, I would be at the FTC or the FCC or on the house side or the Senate side. And and inevitably somebody would say, Christine, what's in it for you? Why do you care? Why are you doing this? And For the first couple of years, I would say, I'm just doing it because I think it's the right thing to do. And they would laugh, you know, they'd kind of elbow each other or roll their eyes, whatever. But after several years of hearing the same thing, and, you know, I never came with an ask. I never came with a, hey, can we have a tax break? Can we get preferential treatment? You know, whatever other corporate policymaking shops do. They finally started to realize, wow, this really is a unique situation where they're doing this because it's the right thing to do sort of for the good of the order. And so when we, if, if you fast forward a couple of years when we went to sell the company and the, the investors did due diligence, of course, you know, they're, they're smart guys. They went and talked to people on the Hill and they said, GoDaddy is synonymous. Up here, GoDaddy is synonymous with Christine Jones and Christine Jones is synonymous with GoDaddy. And she never asked us for anything. I, I'm curious, and I was thinking about you as I've been reading the headlines about Coinbase. You actually, and just to kind of fill people in, um, the Coinbase CEO said, "Hey, I'm here to run a business. You know, business is hard enough. I'm not, I'm not actually here to to work on anything social." And a lot of people were up in arms that he didn't want to support the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious what you were thinking as you were, if, if this is. Uh, something you don't want to cover, I understand. But I've been super curious about what you were thinking when you were reading this. Because I think you think in everything, and I, I, I would tend to agree, I don't always know how to do it as well as you have, but like there should be some aspect of giving back. If you're affecting people, you should affect people maybe on every front. Well, the giving back piece is easier when you have money, first of all. <laughs> so you know, let, let's not try to pretend like that's not part of it. It's always easy for people who have money to say you should give money away. So, you know, I would acknowledge that, that that's a, an analysis that people have to do in their own context. But 
it doesn't surprise me, Neil, that there are entities that don't want to engage in it. Because I can tell you, you know, when I went to GoDaddy, there were 50, 5050 domain name registrars. We were 47th out of 50 at the time, okay? By the, by the time I left, there were thousands and there were thousands of hosting companies and, you know, dozens of SSL companies and lots of credit card processors and website hosting, you know, or a website building tools and all of these things. There was still only one of those companies that had an active policy shop in Washington. So it is definitely, and by the way, just in case it wasn't clear, that was me, <laughs> that was GoDaddy. <laughs> So it was it was the exception to be involved, not the exception to not be involved. It, it was just not that common. And frankly, you got to have a lot of energy and you got to have a strong backbone to do it because you get a lot of no. You just hear no a lot and you just have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And is that some of what, you know, when you say you got to you, you can't, you know, hear no and you've got to keep pushing and pushing. Is that some of the thought process that went through your head when you said Gee, I've never taken on anything hard enough in my life. Let me go work on prostate cancer too. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, like, I thought, like, wow, you know, like, let, she's like, you know, I, and you told me once, hey, the next thing I take, I, I, it needs to be massively impactful. Like, that, I don't want to touch something that's not right because I, I can be in, impactful on the other things. I thought you were going to running. I thought you were going to go to running for office because, you know, that wasn't if trying to pass policy wasn't hard enough to, you know, just try putting your name on a ballot. Well, no, I think that was probably, fan blade and, uh, I think that was probably part of the same thought process, but I'm, I'm really interested to um, hear, you know, like cancer, cancer seems tougher than office just from my perspective. Different challenges. Well, right? the, yes, it, the, the solution is much harder because cancer is very complicated. You know, you hear people talk about sort of broadly ubiquitously, oh, we should solve cancer. What that really means when you break it down is 200 forms of cancer in humans, you know, over 200 forms of cancer, and then a lot of detail in the DNA of those 200 forms of cancer that you have to try to address. So it's it's a very daunting thing, but you know, I had run for office a couple of times, as you know, and was kind of minding my own, my own business. And a recruiter called me and said that the Prostate Cancer Foundation was looking for a new president, and would I be interested in in you know being interviewed for the job? And they were looking for people that had a particular set of backgrounds. You know, I'm a CPA and a lawyer, and had run for office and done a lot of public speaking, and so you know, kind of fit whatever their particulars were. And the woman said, you know, would you like to, would you like to consider going and talking to them? And I said, you know, with all due respect, um, I don't have a prostate. <laughs> <laughs> are, are, are you sure I'm your guy? <laughs> yeah. So you were going to meet with Michael Milken. So I said to the recruiter, you know, uh, I don't. I don't know that I'm your guy because it seems like maybe it would be more appropriate for a man to have that role. And she said, do me a favor. Mike Milken is a great guy. Would you just go spend the day with him? And I said, okay, fine. What's the worst that could happen? I spend a day with Mike Milken. Maybe I'll learn something. Maybe I'll meet some interesting people. And so I did. And I, I talked to Mike and some of the people that worked around the foundation. And it turned out that 
it's a bunch of really smart, really inventive, thoughtful people doing really serious work. And, you know, the Prostate Cancer Foundation is the world's leading philanthropic organization funding cancer research and has funded now almost a billion dollars. That's the most that's gone in, right? All, like, and the NIH and NSF haven't put all, that much money in. Well, no, they have. The government okay. has. But but of a private foundation, it's really significant. And, and, you know, we're talking about a disease that men in particular don't want to talk about. It's not like breast cancer, mm. right? Where breast cancer is so in the common vernacular. It's so in the common consciousness. Everybody knows that in October, everything's going to turn pink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Prostate cancer is behind in terms of awareness and acknowledgement because let's face it, gentlemen, you guys don't like talking about things below the belt. <laughs> okay. If, if we're being honest here, and, and, pardon me for being too straightforward. I talk about men's prostates all day long now, so it doesn't seem weird to me anymore. But, but so I thought, you know, maybe as amazing as the science is, maybe I could help them to, you know, sort of focus the business and make the business as amazing as the science. And so they offered me the job and I said, sure, no problem. What's, you know, like I said, what's the worst that could happen? I do this for a couple of years and, you know, help them, help them out a little bit. And, you know, in that time, uh, you know, a little more than two years now, since I've, I've joined them, we've, we've seen new FDA drugs approved, you know, we've seen men's lives changed. I've I've now got a partnership with the NBA and a partnership with a major grocer and you know so many so many wonderful things have come out of this and every single time we get somebody else to go get their PSA tested every single time we see somebody acknowledge that they got their husband or their brother or their friend to go in and, and get a prostate screening we know it's potentially a life that was mm-hmm. saved and there is very little that you can do in your life that's more meaningful than that. By the way, what age should people go in at? If you have no family history, um, men of African descent who are 79% more likely to get the disease should start going at the age of 45. If you have family history, go starting at the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Other men should go starting at age 50. But if you have any family history of cancer, you should start going at 45. So uh, if all that's too complicated to remember, just start going at 40 and just say to your doctor, when you get your blood screen, he's going to get your cholesterol and your lipids. And, you know, you're going to get all that stuff screened anyway. Just say, could you tell me what my PSA is? Mm -hmm. It's just a blood test. It's nothing weird. All you got to do is get your baseline. And then every time you go back for a blood test, you get your PSA screened. What? the doctor is going to look for is when it starts to elevate. And that that's a sign that you may need to go see a urologist. You may need to go have additional screening. He may want to refer you for imaging, you know, all sorts of different things. But here's the really, really important thing. So much has been done in prostate cancer in the last 27 years, mostly thanks to this foundation. And I can take no credit for it. I wasn't there for most of the time. If you get diagnosed and treated early, you basically have a 100% chance of survival. 
Yeah, I, I was reading about the that. stats. I was wowed it, by that, right? 99% yeah. or something yeah. crazy. Remarkable, well, right? Whereas, whereas if you don't, if you get it late, we might we might be able to keep you alive for a few more months, but it will still result in fatality. And again, back to the African-American community, black men are 2.2 times more likely to die from prostate cancer. So it is super important to get tested and get treated early. Super mm. important. I think that's very true. I'm uh, living proof. The cycle um, of testing and revelation that you describe is my journey. So um, mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with. Have you ever disclosed that publicly I have before? Not, no, but no. Wow. So this is a moment. <laughs> Thank you so much for being oh, candid. Sure. Sure. Cause we honestly, we need more men to be willing to talk about it. You'd be surprised how many people come to us for advice, but, and we say, you know, could you talk to your employees? It's a CEO. Could you talk to your teammates? It's an athlete. You know, could you talk to your church? It's a pastor. So many tell us no. Yeah. So many. And, and you'd be shocked if you knew all the famous, I mean, our office is in Los Angeles, all the famous people that come through our door looking for advice. And we say, could we put your picture on our website? Would you send out a tweet to your 16 million Twitter mm. followers? You know, would you put a post on Instagram? They say mm. no. It's remarkable. So thank you for, for being willing to be a leader yeah. on that. I don't know about my 16 million Twitter followers <laughs> making a dent in this, but uh, that's small yeah. for you, right? <laughs> well, you got way more He's much that. bigger on TikTok, Christine. That's right. But I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm uh, very happy to share uh, my experience if it would be helpful. Yeah, to please share. Well, mine, um, you know, I had an elevated PSA level, and I don't have a history in my family of uh, any prostate cancers. Uh, but it could be like Christine is saying, um, you know, men are more able to keep those things secret <laughs> and more willing in most cases. So I don't know if anyone in my uh, direct uh, ancestry had any history of prostate cancer. I'm not aware of it. But I was diagnosed with a um, rather milder form after several tests came back showing an elevated PSA level. Um, and now that... Um, We've isolated and identified it. I'm just under a watchful surveillance program. Um, I'm fortunate in a sense, a uh, very real sense, of course, because I know Christine. <laughs> and uh, that's a great benefit to my life and knowing you, Neil. But uh, importantly, that I uh, was able to work uh, with physicians to identify this early. Um, but now we can see. I know uh, there's an old Chinese saying, the man with no diseases dies in early life, but the man with one disease lives a long life or something to that effect. <laughs> like knowing the challenge you it's face, good. right, gives you an advantage. So I, I feel very fortunate. Wow. Well, it's interesting. You talk about the watchful waiting or way. the active. I feel fortunate. Yeah, active. Mm -hmm. But so many people, Neil, you'd be, you'd be surprised how many men now don't have any treatment at all once the once the issue is identified you, you may have a biopsy you may have a an mri 
some kind of a screening process, something like that. But it's it's remarkable now. A lot of oncologists and urologists are recommending, particularly in the prostate cancer context, okay, not every form of cancer, but recommending just continuing to watch to see if it grows and not doing any, literally no treatment at all, no radiation, no chemotherapy, no surgery, no immunotherapy, no treatment at all. Mm-hmm. It, it, so, I mean, you talk about maintaining your quality of life, but you know with certainty that you're going to get results back from the screening and you know exactly what the delta is between where you were last time and where you are this time and where you need to go in the future. It's very reassuring, but you also don't have to go through any putting poison in your body or, you know, radiation or anything like that. So it's, it's so much, so much better than it once was. And one thing, Chris, you said, I'm sorry, Neil, one, one more thing on this point, you said you don't have any history of prostate cancer in your family that you know Mm -hmm. of. It's really important now for people to remember that cancer today is less about geography and more about DNA. So when I say geography, we used to think of it as breast cancer, colon cancer, bladder cancer, prostate cancer. It's really less about where it's located and more about the DNA mutation because the same gene that causes most of the prostate cancer Exactly the same gene mutation causes most of the breast cancer. Hmm. So you say you don't have any history in your family, but if there were women in your family that had breast Mm -hmm. cancer, you are more likely to get prostate cancer and vice Hmm. versa. Does that make sense? It sure does. So, you know, it's, it's important to keep that in mind. And, you know, for moms, if you have breast cancer, make sure your sons are going out and getting their prostate cancer screening and and dads, the same thing with Hmm. your daughters. It, it's just very important. And be, the reason our research now is impacting more than 70 forms of cancer is because tying the genetic change to the, the form of cancer is allows, you know, allows a particular treatment that we developed to solve 100% of a particular type of colon cancer, for mm. example. Um, actually, Christine, this may be an interesting time to a little to think a little bit about how you're navigating the world in general like um you know i feel like there's just way more uncertainty uh, i know a lot of people just come to you for advice anyway between covid between the markets and you know people losing jobs i'm sure that's happening at your church um i feel like you love your church just like your team at godaddy just the way you talk about the, the mm-hmm. folks there um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think, you know, going back to where we started, you know, talking about this notion of having a North Star, having something to focus on, whether it's religious or not, right? Mm -hmm. I've never had the energy to be a devoted atheist, but it it doesn't really matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, right? From you don't believe in any other thing to you believe in, you know, the biggest thing anywhere in between, it's really helpful that, you know, probably the single best thing you can do is to focus on something else or somebody else. And, you know, solving other people's problems is a great way to do that. Your problems always seem to dim in the light of somebody else's tragedy. You know, there's, there's always somebody who has it worse off. You've heard all these trite phrases, but the, the real thing I think is causing people angst and that people are reaching out to me a lot about right now is 
what are we going to do about this election? No matter which position you take, you're a big Trump fan, you're a big Biden fan, you hate both of them. What what are we going to do about the outcome? Because it seems like no matter what happens, either side is going to claim fraud. Either side is going to say the other side stole it. Either side is going to say civil unrest and, you know, people go out and torch the torch the place, burn it all down. What are we going to do about this? And I think, you know, one of the things that I've really tried to encourage people to do, and I'm just one voice among the, the 330 million, but if you could just say something nice about someone with whom you disagree hmm. and just leave it there. Just say something nice about somebody with whom you disagree. Find something nice to say about both of the candidates in whichever race you're following. Because, you know, there used to be a time when you could say something nice, even about the people with whom you disagree. And it was considered a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And we have to, as individuals, as humans who, people who are in a community and people who exist together, we have to return to that moment where you can actually engage in a conversation with civility, even if you bring it with force, to, to come to a conclusion about things about which you disagree in a peaceful, civilized, loving, humane way. And if we don't do that, if we don't lead on that, if people who have influence don't focus on that, it doesn't really matter who wins the election. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what the outcome is or how long we fight about it or what happens to the Supreme Court. If, if you can't live in your community and get along with people, you might as well just keep the COVID lockdown going. You might as well just go under the sofa cushion with your dog. Because that is no way for humans to exist. So, yeah, lots of people have anxiety. Lots of people come to me to try to solve problems. But the, the thing that I, I really wish that people would focus on is if, if you have any ability to look for satisfaction or a solution outside of yourself, away from the mirror, without being selfish, without being self-motivated, without being internally focused... You will be 1,000 times happier, more productive, more contributory, more community-minded. All of the things that make society better, you will be that. Christine, that note was delivered with so much love and so much great intent. I mean did it. Did you just ring like the Zen Master gong? I yes. did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. There was nothing that words could say that there were no words that could improve upon what you said. I Oh. I think if we all are present, as I mentioned earlier, Neil, to all of the relationships that are in our lives, even on a daily, hourly basis that make it possible for us to live the lives we have, we can't help but see the interrelationships and really see the love. 
And I think, you know, Christine, um, you underscore a great point. Um, we will manifest the future. Um, and it's up to us and how we act and how we react to whatever that stimulus is that's coming our way. And it's important for us to act with love. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Market Meditations with Chris Idell and myself, Neil Modi. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we encourage you to send questions and comments and just thoughts in general um, about this episode, questions for the people we had on the episode and in general. Um, we hope that uh, you continue to ride along with us. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us five stars on the platform you found us on. Talk to you soon.